Hey, good morning. How you doing? Come on. Good morning. Hey, we're turning four years old. Come on. Let's give God praise. Man, I, uh, you know, you can't help but reminisce for a moment anytime. I, I always like to compare the age of the church to the age of an actual, you know, person, a child. And I start thinking about four-year-old. And, you know, by the time you're four, you're, you're walking or at least learning to walk on your own. Uh, you're talking, you know, those kinds of things. And it's interesting because I, I think about where we are as a church, and I'm like, man, we, we're finding who we are. We're finding our voice, we're, you know, those kinds of things. Uh, today on Facebook this morning, either this morning, I think it was this morning or, or yesterday, the, the memory picture popped up, and it was a picture of our first Sunday as a church. And it had a picture of me, you know, preaching and some, some, some of us in the, in the uh, hallway and things. And and I looked at that picture, and first of all, it's a little bit different because I didn't have a beard or the version of beard that I have then, um, but I just looked at the picture and thought, man, that young man right there is not nearly grown or knows what's coming his way over the next four years. You know, you heard Jeff talk about the fact that, you know, the first couple of years, we're kind of learning ourselves as a church. We moved to a brand new area. We're meeting our, our who will be our church family, our dream team, and then, of course, we get hit with the pandemic, and we close down for basically a year and then you get 2021, where I remember it wasn't even until Easter Sunday that we opened up kids ministry again, because we were just trying to get to a place where people felt comfortable coming back in the doors. And now we hear, here we are in 2022, and uh, in the next month or so, we'll move into our brand new building. And I just think it's really crazy to follow the pattern that God has. And here's a couple of things I've learned. Number one is God will never leave me. Number two is that that doesn't mean that I won't experience trouble in hard times, right? Matter of fact, that's one of the promises that God gave us is that there will be trouble, but do not be concerned because the one that is in us is greater than the one who is in the world. And so not only do I believe that God will never leave me, not only do I believe that I will experience trouble, but here's the third thing I'm learning, that it's always going to be greater. It's always going to be greater. God is a God of from glory to glory to glory. Which means whether or not you would say right now, man, I don't know how it could get any better, it will. And maybe you're somebody who goes, I don't know that it could get any worse. And I'm telling you, it gets better, it gets greater. And so not only do we want to celebrate today, but I want to bring you a promise today as well in the scriptures. And so before I get into that, let me just do a couple of announcements. First of all, if you're visiting with us today, uh, we'd love to connect with you. You can do that a couple of different ways. Uh, you can do that digitally. That information will come on the screen. You can text VICTORY18 to 31996. That's going to send you a digital connection card that you can fill out. Or when you came in, you might have received a paper connection card. And fill that out for us if you can. And what that does is uh, if you have the paper or the digital and you're here, when you leave out today, there's a welcome center area. You can go and get a gift. It's just a way of us saying thank you so much for choosing to spend your Sunday with us. As well as it gives us an opportunity to connect with you. I'll be able to give you a call this week and just make that connection and see how we can help you uh, connect more and move forward in Victory Church. Find your place. We like to say you're here on purpose because you have a purpose. And we want to do our best to help you find that. So do that for us. Connect with us if you would. Also, if you're looking for a way to give, we do that three different ways here. Uh, one is our online portal, our website, our app. You can also text to give like you can text to connect. That information will come up on the screen. Or as you're leaving today, our auditorium host will have a bucket uh, and you can give that way as well. I do always take a moment every Sunday and share a little bit about what God's doing with our finances and what we're able to be a part of. And I'm going to share a little bit of that in the message during the vision time. So instead of doing that, I just want to let you know that I have had three meetings in the past week and a half with three different people or families that trusted God coming into the new year off of our God's guarantee, if you remember that message series, uh, and they started tithing, and all three of them have shared with me incredible stories about how God has already showed his faithfulness. I, I was meeting with one friend, and he shared this story. I'll go into more detail later down the road, but he shared this story where he had a couple of items on like a, a selling website, kind of like an eBay type thing, and he said they were not selling. Nobody, it was going on, he had been on there for a while, and coming into the new year, he made that commitment to start tithing and trusting God with his finances, and he tithed, watch this, and the same week that he tithed, both items that he had on the website sold. And that's what I'm talking about. That's the favor of God. And so I just want to continue to keep that in front of your face for those who are trusting God this year. 
Uh, when you came in, you were given kind of a little goodie bag. It has some glasses and a ring pop and so on. And along in there is a card. And the card on one side has the promises of God, or let me say this, some of the promises of God uh, that we're asking you to pray about and just keep in front of your face over the next uh, you know, few months of this year. Um, as well as on the back, it has an opportunity for you to get connected through small groups. It has an opportunity to you to, if you want to start trusting God with your finances. Uh, we finish our fast today. So those that were fasting with us through 21, come on, let me give let me hear you excited that you're finishing your fast. Uh, I am. I'm really excited. I'm going to do some damage at a restaurant today here in a couple hours. Uh, super excited about that. And then in the end of January it, or next Sunday, I'm sorry, it reminds you that we have growth track, which would be an opportunity if you've been visiting or you're, you're just now new to the church, you can learn more as well as you can learn how to get more involved. Before we get in the message, Veda, go ahead and come up here and help me real quick. Veda, go ahead and come up here and help me real quick. Uh, before we get going in the message, uh, if you participated in the, in the lobby, there was kind of a tabletop Pac-Man game in representation of the 80s. And so you, had this, you got this ticket kind of as a giveaway. And so let's reach through. Everybody was involved from those serving in kids to everybody in here. So you may or may not be in, winner may or may not be in here. Now, before I read the number, if you're in here, by all means, you can shout and you can get excited, but we're not bringing you your gift right now. I'm not bringing you on stage. Just after service, you want to find Miss Erica in the lobby and get your gift, but I would like to hear you scream if you're in here and you win. All right, you can just help me with accountability. The number is 971-8749. There we go, there we go. All right, so I'm gonna take it. Thank you, baby. Give it up for my Vanna White. There we go. We keep this, all right. Miss Karen has won it, so you can expect me to be at your house on the weekends to play Pac-Man, all right? There we go, I'm there. So don't forget, after service, go by. Miss Erica will give that to you. If there was ever a couple that deserved to win that, I mean, look, I won't go, won't go down that direction. They, they loved, every, every weekend they come in with some of the most, uh, uh, how do I say, creative outfits, and, and sometimes we get excited. If they don't come in with something creative, we're like, what are you doing? Why are you wearing normal clothes? Like, we, we, everybody's waiting to see what you're going to wear. Um, all right, you ready for the word? Yeah. All right, if you got your Bibles, turn to the book of John chapter 14. John chapter 14, you can do it in your paper Bible. You might do it on your phone, however it is that you study the scriptures. But as I, as I said quickly, we are in a series called Promises, and we are going through the promises of God. I shared a couple of weeks ago that there are over 7,000 promises that God has given us in Scripture. Obviously, I don't have time to go over all 7,000, but we'll cover uh, you know, about 20 or so throughout the year. Um, we'll cover them up until we move, and then we'll get into a few different series for a while and then come back to this. But today, even though it's our birthday, and even though I want to share a little bit about what God's doing in 2022, I still wanted to share with you one of the promises that God gives us. So in John chapter 14, I'm going to start reading at verse 6. I'll read you about verse 12, and then we'll go from there. It says, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's a promise for you that the only way to heaven is through Christ's salvation. If you really know me, you'll know my father as well. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. You know God and you've seen God because you know Jesus and you've seen Jesus. Philip then said what we would all say, Lord, show us the father and that'll be enough for us. Just show us God and we'll be good, right? And Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you such a long time, surely you realize that anyone who has seen me has seen the father. Anyone who has seen Jesus Anyone who has heard Jesus, anyone who's been around Jesus has seen, heard, and been around the Father. And goes on to say, how can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? Don't you believe that I am God and God's in me and all these things? And the words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing the work. In other words, Jesus says, I've never said anything that wasn't the words of God. Believe me when I say, I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. And here goes our promise for today. For truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing. And they, those that believe in me, will do even, say it with me, greater things than these because I am going to be with the Father. This morning, I want to share just a little short message from the, the title. I actually have the wrong title up there, but the title I want to share with you is The Guarantee 
of greater, the, the guarantee of greater. As we were prepping for this series, uh, or I'm sorry, this theme of our birthday, this 80s theme, you know, I started having to look back at pictures. I was reaching out to my mom, and I'm like, you know, do you have any pictures of me in, in the 80s? And, you know, and she's sending me, I'm like, I don't want to be baby pictures. You know, she's like, well, you were at the oldest six. And I'm like, I get it, but send me pictures. And along with pictures of me became pictures of her, right? So she had unique hairdos and unique styles, and it kind of caused me to start reminiscing on me in the 90s. And here, here's what I've, and maybe you won't agree with this, but here's the conclusion I've arrived at. That when I look back at pictures of me, whether it be middle school, high school, I always got better, okay? And here, here's what I mean by that, before you think that's a prideful comment. I just mean that every time I look back at me, it was worse. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like the style was worse, and the haircut was worse. And I look at the pictures, and I'm like, what was I thinking, right? There'll be a time, probably about five or 10 years from now, that I'll look back at this picture and go, what was I doing? Like, I don't know what the style will be, right? You know, something will have made its way back. Maybe it'll be bell bottoms and afros. I don't know. We'll, we'll see. But I was just, you know, constantly like, man, what was going on? I'm, I'm reminiscing. And I was talking to uh, my friend Kyle Friday night at Setup, and he started asking me about all the hairdos that I had growing up. He's like, what hairdos did you do? And I said, well, you know, there was this stage where I was like an M&M freak, and so I had like the, the earrings and the, the real shortcut hair. Um, and I told him, I said, but I do remember this one time. I said, I think it was when I was kind of transitioning from eighth grade to ninth grade, and you're going from middle school. At the time, our school was middle school to high school, eighth to ninth grade. And I was like, I need to be better. Like, I need to look greater. I need to, you know, something needs to step up. And so I remember I went to like the hair place, right, the, the haircut place, and for some reason, there's something in us that thinks that if we get a different hairdo, all of a sudden we will look different, right? Um, and so I go in, and the lady's like, what do you want to do? And I'm telling her the situation, and this is dead on the street. She says, well, what if you got the George Clooney cut? Now, keep in mind, this was probably, I can't even do the math. It was in the 90s for sure. And I said, uh, okay, yeah, George Clooney probably at that time was like the sexiest man alive or, you know, whatever. And so I was like, yeah, yeah, let's do that. Like, let's get the George Clooney look. All the girls love George Clooney. Let me look like George Clooney and this will be great. I don't know that I ever realized that by me getting a George Clooney haircut doesn't make me look like George Clooney, right? There's an absence there. So she starts to do the haircut and she gets done. And to this day, I'm not sure what picture of George Clooney she was looking at. Uh, I'm not sure what, what show she watched, but here's the only way I could describe to you what the haircut looked like, is if you took my hair now and you soaked the top of my hair with, you know, with water, and then you took my bangs and you formed like these little shark fins out of my bangs on my forehead, and so they just went like this, and I remember looking at the picture going, I couldn't be further away from George Clooney, you know what I mean? Like, like I, you made me uglier, which I didn't even know was possible, but, but you did it, like this was terrible. And I remember Kyle asked me, he said, well, what, you know, did you keep it? And I said, somehow there's a yearbook picture with it, so obviously I kept it. Now I'm sorry, I don't have the yearbook picture, so I'll do my best to find it, but I'm just telling you, it was rough, it was rough. And I'm just, are you thankful for better days, right? Thankful for greater days. I'm thankful that I can look back and go, God, you know, you, you're still working on me. Like, there's still hope for me to be better and to be greater. And anytime we study the promises of God, I think it's important that we study the promise where God guarantees us greater. So let's talk about that for a moment. Let's talk about greater. Jesus promises that when you and I believe in him, that we are guaranteed to experience the same miracles and the same testimonies and the same life change that happened while he was on earth. But he doesn't stop there. Jesus goes on to promise that you and I, if we will believe in him, will experience even greater things than those. He says you'll experience the same miracles, the same testimonies, the same life change that, that we're experiencing with me on earth, but those who believe in me will actually experience greater things than these. Now, I don't know about you, but that gives me a form of anxiety because I start thinking about how great Jesus is, right? And the idea that I could actually ever even be involved with something that was greater than what Jesus was doing. I mean, let's talk about it for a moment. Jesus is the same guy that turned water into wine, okay? Can anybody in here currently, as you know, turn water into wine? 
right? No, because if you were, you would be like the most popular person. You'd be invited to all the parties, right? Everybody would be trying to use your brand new gift to save them money. Uh, it's the same guy that took mud and put it on somebody's eyes and, and they now went from being blind to being able to see. He's the same guy that walked on water. He's the same guy that rose from the dead. And so when we think about that, we can't help but wonder, what kind of vision board would I have to put together to do something greater than Jesus? What kind of journal would I have to have? What kind of planner would I have to have for 2022 to be able to do something greater than Jesus? What kind of formula would I have to put in place to be greater than Jesus? That's hard to understand. But God's vision of greater for our lives, listen to me, is not built on a formula. It's built on a promise. The idea that God will do greater things in your life and through you is not built on a formula, a vision board, or a journal system. It's built on a promise. The promise that our lives right now are not a placeholder until we get to heaven. That's not what our lives are. It's not a concept of just surviving this culture until we can get into heaven by the coattail, right? That's not what this life is about. What God is saying is that there's a promise that in this life, you and I will have opportunities for greater miracles, greater opportunities, greater experiences, greater moments of life change, all because he promised it. And here's how you and I can stand on the promise. You ready? You and I can stand on this promise that we will experience greater things because Jesus is the greatest. He's the greatest of all time. Jesus is the goat. Tom Brady's not the goat. Michael Jordan's not the goat. Whatever actors or actresses or celebrities, they're not the goat. Jesus is the goat. He's the greatest of all time. And because he's the greatest of all time, you and I can stand on the promise that we will do greater things. Now, let me show you what I mean. Let's go back to John chapter 14 for a moment. Let's read verse 12 again, and let's break that down. Very truly, I tell you, Jesus says, very truly, I tell you, whoever, everybody say whoever, whoever, which includes everybody, whoever believes in me, the only qualification is that you believe in Jesus, will do the works that I have been doing, will continue what I have been doing, and you get extra, and they will do even greater things things than these. And then Jesus says something. He gives us a promise, but then he gives us a reason why we can stand on the promise. And here's the reason. Because he was going to be with the Father. He says, whoever believes in me will do what I've been doing and will do even greater things because I am going to be with the Father. Here's what he's saying. The greater works, the greater works that Jesus is speaking of are still the works of God. The greater works that Jesus is talking about are still the works of God, but no longer by his visible presence among us, but by his spirit within us. That makes sense? The greater things that Jesus is talking about are still the works of God. It's still God moving, but instead of God being beside us, instead of all of that happening by God's presence among us, it's happening by the spirit within us. The promise is not that you and I will do greater things than Jesus. The promise is not that you and I will be greater than Jesus. The, prom the promise is not that at some point there will be a debate on whether you're, you are the goat or Jesus is the goat. That is not the promise. The promise is simply that the impact of the gospel will be greater, that there will be more life change, more miracles, more testimonies, because God is no longer beside us, but God is working in all of us and through all of us. That's the promise. Now, here's where most of us struggle. Because the second you start talking about God doing anything great through me, I have a difficulty with that. It's hard for me to imagine the creator of the world who's done all of these miracles and all these great things doing anything great through me, because I know my weakness. I know my shortcomings. 
I know my limitations, right? So this idea that God's going to do greater things in me is not to put me above Jesus. It's to be able to understand that because he's, he's no longer beside me, but in me, greater things will happen. Now, hold on, Troy. How are greater things going to happen through me, watch this, when I can't even get the laundry done in a week, right? I, I don't know if you struggle with it. I have a difficulty finishing laundry in seven days. I have three children. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, three children. I'm sorry, darling. Can we start this whole service over again? I meant to say I have three women in the house. Uh, my, my kids are, stop it, y'all need to get saved. W one of my kids is a teenager, right? The other one is, is coming up soon, she's seven. And, and, and it never fails, clothes come through and Darla and I are like, how do they even have this many clothes? You know, you wash it and it's all, like if I can't overcome laundry, in seven days, how is God going to do something great through me? If I can't even finish a diet, right? Anybody with me on that? Like we're 23 days into January and I should start the diet now because I've already failed. Like if I can't even finish a diet, if I can't drive to work without wanting to say biblical words to somebody who's driving down the street, how is God going to do something great through me? How is it possible that God would do something great through me when I can't even do these simple things? I'll get real with you for a moment. This is just mine. I don't know if it's yours, but it's mine. How, how is God going to do something greater through me when I can't stop raising my voice at a level to my children that I don't want to? Right? Like, there's times where I get angry and I say things that I didn't want to say and then I have to go back and deal with that, and you're telling me that God's going to do something greater through me? And I can't even control my anger to a seven-year-old, and God's going to do something? I have a hard time dealing with that. But we have to understand this, that the guarantee, the promise that God gives us to do greater things, it is not exclusively for great people. Do you understand? When God says he's going to do greater things, it's not exclusively for great people people. What qualifies somebody to be able to be used by God to do greater things is simply to believe in Jesus. When we believe in Jesus, we're now qualified to do greater things. We don't have to be great people. And I don't know about you, but that's where the, 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 the separation tends to happen, is that when you tell me that God's going to do greater things, I understand it happening through great people. Oh, yeah, God's going to do something great through them. Yeah, I can see it. God's going to do something great through them. Yeah, I can see it. But I know my limitations and I know my shortcomings, so I struggle believing that God would do something great through me, but I have to get it through my head that God does not do greater things exclusively through great people. He does it through anyone and everyone who believes in him. And here's probably one of my favorite things to tell you today. It's because you did not qualify yourself, there is nothing you can do to disqualify yourself. There is nothing you did to qualify yourself good enough to be used by God. You understand that? And when we can grasp our mind around that, then we can understand that there's also nothing that we can do to disqualify ourselves. If I didn't, if I didn't qualify myself, then there's nothing I can do to disqualify myself. I am able to do greater things because I believe in him. Uh, let me help you with a little bit of an illustration. Uh, the Lord brought this back to my memory and made the connection, and I thought it was a fun connection. Uh, I've shared before that last summer, Darla and I had the opportunity to take our kids to a theme park in Santa Claus, Indiana called Holiday World. Have you all ever heard about this? Holiday World. You should go. It's a treat. It's interesting. Um, uh, interesting is the best word I can come up with at this time that is respectful. And so go check it out. They got like a theme park and a water park. Um, it's, I mean, they're good parks. They really are. Uh, one, of, one of the things that drew us is that you get free drinks and you get free suntan lotion, right? Like, how is that a draw for people? You know what I mean? Like, how are you coming to a park because you get free? It's like in those five-gallon buckets, you know, and people are just, okay, I'm going, I'm going, all right, here. It's an interesting experience. So we get ready, we go to the theme park, 
And I don't, know, I don't know how many of y'all have ever gone to a theme park with kids, but let me explain to you what is the most disappointing, uh, co- condemning, difficult thing to deal with when you have a kid at a theme park, and that is the little measuring system that they have to see if the kid can ride the ride. You know what I'm talking about? Like, there, there, there's nothing worse than this situation because you have a small child who has come to a theme park, you've paid $4,000, right, to get them into this park, and they've walked in, and all of their heroes, all of their cartoon characters, all of this excitement, they've got cotton candy in one hand, cotton candy in the other hand, and they cannot wait to ride this ride, and it's all depending on whether or not they happen to be taller than this little stick. And there's this moment of qualification or disqualification, and I'm telling you, if you've ever seen it, just the next time you're at a theme park, if you don't have kids, the next time you're at a theme park, and you want to experience the, the internal torture of this, just watch the eyes of a child who has walked over to that measuring system like they're literally being sentenced to prison for their entire life. And they line them up, and parents are crazy. Parents will style their hair up real tall or put like inserts in their shoes, you know what I'm talking about? Like anything they can do. And there's that moment, and if the kid's tall enough, you would think they just won a million dollars. It's like, yes! And if the kid is not tall enough, you might as well just shoot yourself. Like it's just, it's a terrible experience. And here's my real problem. Since y'all are letting me, you're counseling me for a minute, here's my real problem with it. They put the measuring system right before you get on the ride. Notice this, I have a problem with this. Because here's what this does. I have to wait all the way through this line with my child who's building up their anticipation and then they get to this thing and then they're told, sorry, you don't cut it. Sorry, you're not tall enough. Sorry, you're not good enough. Sorry, you can't do it, but they can. It's difficult. When Darla and I were at the water park with our kids, uh, luckily Casey Ray was tall enough, but there was literally a family in front of us that way. We waited in the line for an hour to ride this ride, and we literally watched this family go up. They measured their daughter. She was too short, and they told them they couldn't ride. And I was blown away that this family had waited there for an entire hour just to be told, you can't ride this ride. And it just kind of made me think about our culture and this concept of how we start trying to figure out, do we measure up? Right? Like, like as if there's this moment where we're trying to figure out, are we good enough to be used by God? And somebody's walking us to this measuring stick. And then we have this moment where they're going to go through all the things that we've done, good and bad. And we're waiting to hear, are we enough? Waiting to hear, am I good enough? Do I measure up? Can God do something great through me? Now, here was the coolest part about the part. I don't know if other parks do this. I had never seen it before personally. But at Holiday World, when you go in, as soon as you walk in to your right, there are lockers and there's this building. And you go into the building, and what they do is they measure you in the building. So they have the measure system, and if you are tall enough, there's certain heights you have to be for certain, but depending on how tall you are, they give you a wristband. And that wristband tells every employee in the park that you're tall enough for any ride. So now, even though they would think by eyesight you should be measured, when you step up, and we got one for Casey, so when she would walk up to these rides, they wouldn't even take the time to measure her because they saw her wristband and said, okay, she's already been pre-qualified. And so since we know she can ride the ride, she doesn't have to go through this system. What the Lord told me was this, because we are a child of God, because of the finished work of Jesus Christ, you and I have been pre-qualified, okay? We've been given the band. We don't have to be walked through a system. There never has to be that moment where we're wondering, do I measure up? You measure up because Jesus is great. Because he's the GOAT. Guess what? You're great. And this is my message for you today. Is there greatness in you? Yes, because he's in you. Are you great? Yes, because he's great. And the world wants you to fall into the system where at some point they want to read what you've done and try to get you to wonder, will he or won't he? Can I tell you something? He will. He does. He did. He is. He has. It's the finished work of Jesus Christ. And because it, because of it, you're qualified. So listen to me, daughter. Listen to me, son of God. When you walk into rooms, walk with your head held up high. Don't wonder, can I? Did I? Will I? Would I? No, it's done, right? It's on me. I'm his. I'm his. I'm his. I'm a son of God. I'm a daughter of God. Can you move the line, please? I got to get ahead. 
It's what we have to understand that the greatness that Jesus speaks of, the greatness that he's talking about, these greater things, are not a result of our performance. They are a result of the finished work of Jesus Christ. We are not great because of who we are. We are great because of whose we are. You've got to be able to grasp that. Depending on how you've been raised theology, depending on how you've been raised in general, we'll find ourselves trying to categorize ourselves. Well, am I great? Is there greatness for me? Am I less than great? And I just feel like the Lord sent me here to help you understand that your greatness has never once been measured by your performance. I, know, I don't try not to talk a lot about sports because I know we're not all sports fans, but, but in case you are a sports fan, there's this huge debate on, on the GOAT, whether it be basketball with Jordan and LeBron or, or football with Tom Brady and whoever. And all they do, if you listen to, I listen to a lot of sports podcasts, that's kind of my, my thing I like, but they're always discussing criteria. Well, I don't know, you know, he's got more touchdowns or he played more years. They're always going through by what they've done. And there's this constant debate. And what we have done is we've adopted that same concept as if God and the angels are up in heaven going, well, I don't know. They know six Bible verses. Well, they went to church on a rainy day. And they start going through all these processes, measuring up whether or not we are great. And what we're being told through scripture is we are not great because of our performance. It doesn't matter what you've done, how you did it, when you did it, if you'll ever do it again. All that matters is that he did it when he did it and it was enough and when we walk in it and we proclaim it we are great we're great because of him because Jesus is great I'm great grasping that Abraham seemed too old yet he fathered a nation David seemed too young yet he defeated a giant Moses seemed unqualified yet he freed God's people Joseph seemed overqualified, yet he humbled himself and saved his family. Gideon had an inferior complex. Jonah had a superior complex. Peter made too many mistakes, yet one won a war with a small army, one lived inside of a well, and one walked on water. What is the point of this? The reason, can I, tell you, can I just give you a little bit of a Bible uh, theology study for a second so that you can go out of here and get your credentials? God purposely put a bunch of ordinary, uh, shortcoming, mistake-making, failure-driven people in the Bible to do great things so that when you looked in the Bible, you were looking in a mirror and you were realizing that if God can use them, God can use me. You understand that David wasn't great because he took out of a giant. David was called great before he ever faced the giant. Joseph was not great because he saved his family. He was called and anointed great before. Why? Before you ever did anything, he called you great. Before you ever did anything, he died for you. Can we please stop trying to perform in a way that will allow us to be known as great and walk in the greatness that Jesus already paid for? Let it be. Greater is not what I accomplish. Greater is what God accomplishes through and in me. That's greatness. It's not about what I did. It's about what he did. And I just got to be the vessel. The Lord led me to a, a particular verse this week that I was studying. And I've, I've read it before and you've probably read it before. It's in John chapter 3, verse 30. It's a very simple wording. But the reason why I bring it up to you right now is because I think, I don't think we take it out of context, but I think sometimes we miss the actual intent of the verse. So in John chapter three, verse 30, it simply says this, he must become greater and I must become less. That that is is just the, the simple statement. He must become greater, I must become less. Now, depending on where you hear this verse taught, And depending on what kind of filter you're processing it through, you will hear it as a demand or a command. Here's what I mean. You will hear it as this. You need to become less and he needs to become greater. You need to stop doing that. You need to fix this. You need to become, it needs to not be about you. It needs to be about him. And that can become kind of a command or a demand. And it makes you step back and go, I haven't haven't made myself less enough yet. What can I do to keep putting myself, what can I do? And you see what I mean? And then it becomes a burden for God to become great and for you to become less. 
And when you actually look at the context of the verse, I think there's kind of a different intent. So let me give you the context, and then I'm going to show you the intent that I felt like the Lord told me. The context is this. It's in the book of John, but John the Baptist says it. Because at the time, John the Baptist was, was employed, I guess you might say, or called and anointed to be the, the one that went before Jesus. So he would walk in and say, Jesus is coming, someone's coming, repent, and then he would baptize you. So in case you didn't know this, John the Baptist, that was not his denomination, okay? He didn't attend a Baptist church. John the Baptist meant because he was a baptizer. That's what he did. He literally, for a living, baptized people. And up until Jesus, listen to me, he would have been known as the God of baptizing. If somebody said, hey, who's the greatest baptizer? Who's the, who's the G-boat? Did that right off the head. Who's the greatest baptizer of all time? Oh, it's John, man. John's baptized like 6,428 people. He baptized seven people in six seconds. You know what I mean? Like they just start going through all. He's, he's the goat. He's the goat of baptizing. Then Jesus comes along and Jesus starts baptizing people, okay? That's what's happening in John chapter 3. So then John's disciples, his buddies, come to John, and they say this. Do you see what he's doing? I mean, he's Jesus. He, don't he got enough recognition? He's got to come take your spotlight too? Like, you're the goat of baptizing, not him. What, if, if, if we don't do something, people are going to start following him Instead of following you, people are going to start thinking he's great instead of thinking you're great. We have to do something quick. You got to perform. You got to do something. You got to come up with some kind of accolade and some kind of achievement so that we can take the greatness away from Jesus and put the greatness back on you. And this is why John says this. But here's what I felt the Lord tell me. I immediately read that and went into our culture today and read this like a social media post. Now, I know that, uh, what is it, Twitter, 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 Twitter? I'm an old soul, folks. Twitter was not a thing then. Instagram was not a thing then. I get it. I get it. But I started picturing what if it was? And what if, what if John would have taken this picture of Jesus baptizing, and then he would have just wrote as his statement, he must become greater. I must become less. Now, let me tell you the intent behind it. Here's what I felt. John is baptizing people because it's his job. He's baptizing people because Jesus is coming. And I even think, look, John's flesh, all right? John's us. I think John baptized some folks he didn't like. I think he held them down a little bit. Sometimes you went to a And he's just counting. He's got the guy with the clicker, 706. 707, 708, daily quota's done, let's go home, John. And I think when they say this, he looks at Jesus. And he, and he sees Jesus baptizing. Now watch this. To Jesus, it's not a job. Jesus isn't concerned about a quota. As Jesus is baptizing him, he's madly in love with every person that he's baptizing. I got to baptize both my girls and as much as I love every one of you, it's different when you baptize your child. And as they're coming out of the water, the emotions. Do you understand that for every person Jesus baptized, that was the emotion? That he was overwhelmed with joy and with love. And I think John caught a glimpse of that. I think John said, no, 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 no. Y'all don't understand. I was doing it because it was my calling. He's doing it because he realizes he's about to give his life for every person he baptizes. And I think when you, when you encompass all of that, I think John set back. Now watch the difference in the tone. Watch. I think he said, man, he must become greater. And I must become less. It wasn't, I must become less. He must be. It was, he's so great. I got to get out of the way. When he baptizes them, it's with love and grace and mercy. I got to get out of the way. He's got to become greater, and I've got to become less. I read a book, and the author had the opportunity to interview Billy Graham when he was 93 years old. I'm not sure exactly the time frame he passed after that. But in their conversation, he was talking to Billy Graham, and he said, 
they started talking about his funeral and what he would want his funeral to be like. And Billy Graham said to him, he said, I hope that at my funeral, my name is not mentioned. And the guy interviewing him was like, what? Like, you know, he didn't understand. He said, what are you talking about? And then Billy Graham said, I hope the only name that's lifted up is the name of Jesus. That's a perspective shift of greater. The world teaches us to strive for greatness. I want to strive for the great one. It's not about me. It's not about how do I become greater and how does my name become greater. The greater that we become, the greater that we become in God, listen to this, the less about us our lives become. The greater that I become in God, it's not, oh, the closer I get to the goat. The greater I become in God, watch this, the less it becomes about me. And the greater things that God has promised us, can I flip it on you for a second? The greater thing that God promised you is not to elevate your name. The great thing that God promised you is the opportunity to elevate his. And real greatness isn't about people knowing me or knowing you or knowing our name. The true greatness is people knowing more about Jesus and people knowing his name. So I say that to tell you this. I think one of our visions, one of our main focuses of this year is to make the name of Jesus known. If you want to know what is our focus this year, that's our focus. How do we become less and God becomes greater? How do I become a, 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 a vocal point and a conduit so that the name of Jesus can be announced higher and greater and people's lives can be changed. Let me give you some thoughts real quick of what's happening this year. Uh, on February 23rd, we will officially have the building. February 23rd, I think it's a Wednesday. Yeah, you get, come on, give God praise for a second. If you've been setting up the past Fridays for the last four years, your shout's a little bit louder, you know what I mean? I thought about that not to get off track for a second, but I thought about there are people in this church that haven't had a Friday off in four years because they know that God is greater. February 23rd, the building is ours. I think that's a Wednesday. Our goal is about two and a half weeks to flip it. Our goal right now is the second Sunday in March we'll have church in the building. Maybe we can pull it off the first week, but I'm not so much wanting to rush as much as wanting to make it excellent. Uh, obviously, we, we will go in, we'll put our thumbprint on it, put our vision on it, our culture on it, um, but it's phenomenal. I had an opportunity to go Tuesday and just meet with some of the people that, that own it now in it and pray over it. And I just, I watched as people went to work who live in that area. And, and here's what I continued to think God is telling me is that we are being sent to a place where they're not hearing the name of Jesus. And our focus in going is to make his name known. I've said this to everybody who's asked me about it. I do think God gave us a building so that we don't have to set up on Friday nights anymore. I think he loves us enough to give us our Friday nights back. But listen to me, that is not the only reason he gave us a building. If that was the case, then we would have just met in a garage somewhere and called it what it was. God's moving us to a place where we can have more influence and more impact lifting up the name of Jesus. And so what we'll do, we'll go in Easter of this year. We'll do our best to share the gospel. We'll hope that people from all over that area will come in. And then we'll start implementing the vision that is Victory Church and believe seeing people saved. Listen to me. Every person that's in our zip code where we're moving needs to know that they are great in Jesus. And they need to know the great name of Jesus. And listen to me. That's the mission on your life this year. God has set us up. We must be ready to go and proclaim the name of Jesus, but it doesn't stop there. This is really exciting. We'll go into our second semester of small groups. We had over 50 people go through Rooted this year. It's incredible. I have testimonies from every small group. We have one small group. We have a Zoom Rooted small group. They've been meeting faithfully. They got together because it was Zoom and they weren't meeting together. And they got together and they bought items for the domestic abuse center in Smyrna that you've heard us talk about. And that was their outreach opportunity that they bought those items and sent those items. That's incredible. It's incredible. We had another small group gather and they wrapped presents that we gave to the school, a couple of kids that go to this school that couldn't afford Christmas. Uh, the small group that I'm a part of, we got to go wrap the presents that we provided through the YMCA. 
We've had testimonies galore just over the past couple weeks of people crying and being impacted by the presence of God because they found a circle, because they found friends that they can do life with. Guess what? The next semester of that's about to start. So it's even greater. Now these that have gone through Rooted, some will continue their groups, some will start new groups. It's greater. So not only are we professing the name of Jesus to the new area we're going, but we're setting up more systems on how to get people discipled in the name of Jesus. We'll continue all of our outreaches. Every outreach that we support will continue. We've already budgeted in for the year. We've already made those promises, but we're going above and beyond. Our ministry with Scott Horde, we're helping them reach out. I'll be bringing them in. Let me say this real quick. In 2022, my plan is to spend one month talking about each organization that we support to bring people in, just to say a little something to help you get to know more and more of these organizations. Isaiah 117, Scott Horde Ministries, the Food Bank, uh, Empowerment Incorporated, all these different ministries that we partner with, YMCA, all, so many, Katie Carter, Missionary to Costa Rica, so many different things. Uh, our Scott Horde Ministry, when we partner with them this year, our goal, watch this, is to duplicate what we're doing in Nashville in Memphis and Mount Juliet. That's what we're doing this year. Greater, baby, greater. Not just here, but all over. We'll team up with a ministry called Men of Valor that provides ministry for young men that have come out of prison. We'll team up with a, a Dream Center in Colorado City. You've heard me talk a little bit about it. We'll team up with them even more. There's so many organizations. Look, as God moves us into Antioch, watch this. Because of your faithfulness, as God moves us into that location, I've sat in rooms with people who said, I know everybody in Nashville. Who do you need to meet with? I said, put me in the room with them and tell them this. We are here to serve them. What do they need? We're coming in with resource and we're coming in with passion. And the only thing we care about is letting them know that Jesus loves them. That's why we're here. I love that God does something inside the four walls, but this at some point has to go out. And that's what we're doing. And can I share something with you real quick? I want you to understand that you're already doing greater things. I want to say two quick things before we end. Two quick things. One is this. The other day, darling, I got a phone call, uh, FaceTime phone call from a couple by the name of Josh and Virginia Baker. Uh, I don't know a lot of you that were there here before the pandemic. You might know them. They were part of the church. While they lived here, God moved them to, I think, East Tennessee uh, around the pandemic time. But Josh and Virginia, you know, if you ever met them, just incredible. Josh is quite a character for Jesus. Uh, he, I, I won't go into all that detail. One day I'll get the opportunity to introduce you to him. He's amazing. Um, but, but as a church, we walked with them through some, some interesting times. They had some difficulty in their marriage. We walked with them. We prayed with them. Uh, he had a son that he was fighting custody for, and he was getting news that this son was getting into you know, bad things legally and was going to go into the system and all this kind of stuff. And he said this with his that many of you, he named you, dream team members, directors, prayed with me, cried with me, walked with us in our marriage, all this kind of stuff. And they get on the Zoom call with Darla and I. We're standing in our kitchen. And he said, we want to tell you a couple of things. He said, we want you to tell it to victory. He said, number one, he said, uh, Virginia and I are headed right now to our first marriage retreat. He said, we've never been doing better. He said, it's all because he just started naming it. People prayed for us. And he said, his son's name was Tristan. He said, I got full custody of Tristan. Come on, give God praise. But he didn't stop there. Look, he said, and guess what? He's on the honor roll in school. He said he's on the football team. He said he's going to youth group and he'll be going to his first youth retreat next week. Come on, God is doing something greater. And I can't tell you how many times he said, it's because of victory, Pastor Troy. It's because of every person that prayed for us and walked with us. And watch this, most of you didn't even know it. God is already doing something greater in you. There's testimonies and people's lives that have been changed while we were here. And there are testimonies waiting on us there. And we got to get there because there are people that are dying and hurting and they're just praying for hope. And God says, just hang on tight because I got an army coming your way. And when they get there, they're going to serve you and love you and introduce you to Jesus and your life's going to be changed. Can I show you how you're already doing greater? At the end of last year, we took up our Purpose Prevails offering. Uh, I didn't tell you this because, to be honest with you, my faith was a little lacking. Uh, but I had made up an amount in my head that I wanted us to raise. We, we, we earmarked $50,000 in our savings to go towards getting our building ready, putting up signs and chairs and new equipment, anything we needed to do. 
And I was praying and I just said, God, it'd be really cool if we could raise $50,000 so that we could leave that money in savings. Like that'd be, that'd be really nice. My difficulty was uh, in 2019 at our highest point of momentum, our highest attendance all right before COVID hit, we raised 22,000. And so it's real difficult when you think about just in your flesh to go, well, we were there with momentum and we could only get 22. Obviously, we're still trying to recover from this and get back to where we were. How could we ever dream for double? And so I didn't tell you. I didn't, I didn't put an amount out. <laughs> I'm a little ashamed at the same time I'm human. And I just believed it and I prayed for it. And I said, God, it'd be great to do, to do 50,000. It'd be incredible. So I'm driving down the street the other day and Tim texts me and he says, uh, I'm, it's on my dashboard. He says, hey, do you want to know the numbers for, for Purpose for Veils? And I was like, no, not really. Um, and so, so far, the day's going good. I'd rather you not, you know. And so I just text back, yes. And then the little bubbles came across, you know what I mean? And it felt like it lasted a year. And it popped up What I told Darla, she's crying, and I'm like, that's stupid, right? That's so stupid. Like, that's just stupid. But what God is teaching me is that in every season with God, it's greater. And it may not look like you think it's going to look, but it's greater. And the more that you and I hang on tight to Jesus, and the more that we believe in Jesus, we can stand on the promise that for you and for me are greater things. But let me share this, and I promise I'll close. The closer we get to Jesus, and the more we believe in Jesus, it's then brought to our attention, watch this, the paradox of greater. Because what we thought greater was starts to shift the closer we get to Jesus. Can I show you real quick? Let's go to Matthew chapter 18. This is, this is the most profound scripture. We got that, Paul? We got Matthew 18? There we go. Thank you so much. Watch this. At the time, the disciples came to Jesus and they asked, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? That's so us, right? Hey, Jesus, real quick, who's the goat? Is it me? You know, because I, I didn't portray you like uh, Peter did. I didn't cut off anybody's ear. You know, like, who's, who's the greatest? And I love that it's in the Bible because that's something we would have asked. Who's the greatest in the kingdom? Jesus says, at that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who then is the greatest in the kingdom? He called to a little child to him, and he placed the child among them. And he said, truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes, watch this, the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Now, I soaked on this verse for a good bit. Because I felt like as we've talking about understanding our greatness because Christ is in us, what's the message here? How come Jesus didn't say, look to me? How come he didn't make him the comparison or right? Why didn't he say, who's the greatest? Well, look to me. Why didn't he bring up one of the most spiritual, most anointed disciples? Why bring up a child? And here's what I felt the Holy Spirit tell me. How many of you have children? You, you, and obviously you've at some point had a small child. Remember the first time they ever colored a picture? Remember that? It was the worst thing you've ever seen in your life. It's terrible. Colors didn't make sense. All, there was more color outside of the lines than there was inside of the lines. Am I right? What did you do with the picture? Put it on the fridge. That terrible disaster of a thing, you put it on the fridge where everybody who came to your house could see it. One time, me and Casey Ray were coloring together, and I colored the most perfect picture. I wasn't out of the line. She colored a catastrophe. Darla took her picture and put it on the pantry door and threw mine in the trash. <laughs> we'll take marriage counseling here after service if y'all are willing to give it to us. 
Another question for those of you that have kids. If I came over to your house tonight and I brought you a picture that Casey Ray colored when you were two, when she was two, would you put it on your fridge? I know you want to be nice. The truth is, you would not. The reason why you saw greatness in a catastrophe is because it was your child. The reason why I think Jesus brought over a child was to confirm this. Greatness is in this child. Not because of anything the child's done, but because of whose the child is. I don't hang up a picture because she stayed in the lines. I hang up a picture because she's my daughter. And what Jesus wants us to understand is that you are great. But you are not great because you learned how to stay in the lines. You are great because you are his daughter. You are great because you are his son. Greatness is in you because he is in you. And if there was ever a message that we need to hear in this season where God promises us greater things and we say, how could God promise me greater things? Look at who I am and look what I've done. And God says, you don't understand. The promise of greater is not in what you do. The promise of greater is because you are my child. And because you are my child, you can stand on the promise that there is greater. Do me a favor and stand with me real quick. Do you receive that this morning? For every person in this room, you've been trying really hard to stay in the lines. Stop, please, stop. Understand that your best, your dad loves. He hangs that picture up on the fridge because you're his child, not because you've learned how to master the, the art of coloring. And this is the message that you and I have to get in our hearts so that as he sends us out, this is the message we're relaying. I don't know what a hurting group of people have heard. I don't know what a hopeless group of people have heard, but I know the message of Christ. And I know the message is while I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. I know the message is that you're great because he's great and he's in you. And that's the message that we have to get inside of us so that we can turn around and share it with them. Understand? So here's how I want to, y'all come up for a second. Here's, here's how I want to end this before. We're going we're gonna to sing Build Your Church to close. And we're going to do that as a way of asking God to prepare us for this next season. But before we can sing that, you got to get the message in you. So do me a favor, close your eyes for a second. Close your eyes for a second. I need you to be able to receive this. I need you to be able to accept it. I need you to say this. Say, I'm great. I'm great because he's great. Come on, just allow him to work on your perspective for a moment. Some of you have never heard it from this, this, this concept or this angle before. It's not nothing to do with what you've done. Everything to do with what he did. You are great because he's great. You have hope because he is hope. You are loved because he is love. There's joy because he is joy. Because of the finished work of Jesus Christ, you're free. You're good enough. You're qualified. You have the band. You get to ride the ride. And the promise that God wants to do greater things through you is the promise for you. It's for you. Well, I don't know about me. It's for you. And so, Father, I pray right now that you would make that message so clear and so real to every person in this room. Whatever they've been told, whatever they've seen growing up, Father, whatever patterns have been shared with them, that they would right now understand the greatness that is in them because you're in them. They would understand how loved they are because you're love. They would understand that there's nothing that they can do, nothing that they can't do. That it's not about what they've done, but about what you did. And 
Father, I just pray you would make that the message that is on replay in our mind so that then we could go and share with other people. This song says that you will never fail. Not I will never fail. You will never fail. And Father, let us stand on that this morning. That it's not about our performance, but it's about what you did and the fact that you will never fail. Father, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.